Hello, everybody. This is Mike Epstein, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. My guest today is Aisha Ahmad Post. Aisha was recently named Director of the Ent Center for the Arts at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. This is going to be such a great episode, as Aisha has a totally unique perspective on running a performing arts center. In fact, she has had to build her program literally from the ground up, and you're going to hear more about that as we get into the conversation. First, I want to give you a little bit, a little background on her. Prior to her role in Colorado, Aisha served as the public programs producer at the New York Public Library. And before that, she worked for the Aspen Music Festival and School and also at Columbia Arts Management. There, she worked with artists including classical pianist Lang Lang and the Royal, uh, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. A classically trained pianist and double bassist, Aisha taught music theory as an associate instructor at the Indiana University Jacobs School of Music, where she earned her bachelor's and master's degrees in music. In fact, the two of us first met when we were both students there, so look at us now. <laughs> Aisha, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks so much for your time today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you, too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I think this is going to be really great, and it's just so wonderful that you and I have reconnected. As we have, um, I think we first saw each other again, oh boy, in Seattle last year at the law conference. Yes, it was a uh, a breath of fresh air amongst all of these agents that uh, I sort of, you know, worked with, and then it was like, oh, look, it's my friend Mike. <laughs> well, that's kind of you to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, the feeling is totally mutual. Oh. Well, it was, it's been fun, and, uh, you know, it's it's been really interesting to be on this side of the um you know, whole presenting business, you know, because, you know, as an agent, of course, I understood the hustle on that side. As a presenter, it's a completely different ballgame. Yeah, well, and I'm looking forward to having you describe some of the challenges you've been dealing with. So so why don't we start there? I mean, why don't you start off by describing the setting you walked into on your first day of the job? <laughs> well, I actually ended up starting um, 15 days earlier than I planned on starting. Um, you know, I, I rolled into Colorado Springs. My husband and I had taken a big, long road trip to get here. Um, and I went in to do some paperwork, and uh, four of my colleagues saw me in the HR department and said, oh, oh, you're here. Um, well, can you start tomorrow? Can, can you get can you can you start to, right now? Can we can we get you trained? And so uh, it, it was clear that they were really eager to have, um, at the very least, a warm body in this seat, if not you know, uh, if not me myself. And so um, so I started early. Uh, at the time, the Ent Center for the Arts was still a hard hat site, so we were actually officed out of um, a building over on main campus right next to HR um, that's now since been taken over by, I think, student careers and job placements, and um, so it was a temporary office. And uh, we had no production manager. Uh, we were down several key roles at that point, and so it was kind of this amazing thing because, you know, there were all these questions, uh, mainly from rentals, um, trying to figure out how they could use the facilities. And every every single question I got, you know, it, it wasn't like there was somebody else I could go to for the answer. It was more that I had to go to the executive director of UCCS Presents, sit down and have a meeting and formulate our answer to every question because we had to build every single process as it came. So that was pretty amazing. I mean, of course, we did have uh, some things in place in terms of 
um, you know, university policies. But I just remember that, that first, uh, you know, six or eight weeks, it felt like there was no easy answer to anything because everything had to be formulated as we went. That sounds like a completely daunting task, but knowing you, you, you crushed it because you came out the other end and now you've got an entire series that's underway, but we'll get into that in a little bit. So I don't even, I mean, I, it is overwhelming just hearing you describe coming into a setting. And I guess we should clarify when you say hard hat, I mean, this facility was still being constructed, right? Yeah, so we, we only finished substantial completion on the building in October. Uh, we got our certificate of occupancy, I think, in late November. Um, and the the lease for the building and the facilities uh, contracts that the university – so basically when you have a capital uh, project like this, um, the ownership of the building is really by the construction company, and then at some point you transfer that ownership over to the end user. And so we didn't actually have that lease in place and all of our utilities um, budgeted for until January 1. So nobody can move into the building until January 2 of 2018. So um, the building was about, you know, they, they broke ground in 2015. Uh, we did miraculously come in uh, under budget and slightly ahead of schedule. Um, all in all, it was a $70 million uh, capital project. Um, and so when I arrived on August 1st, uh, I remember going into our main hall, the Shockley's Alabac Hall, and, you know, the, the stage was still a bunch of concrete, um, you know, the, the line sets hadn't been hung, there, was no, there were no seats anywhere, there was like open wiring, you know, there was, it was definitely a hard hat area, you had to wear the vest and you had to sign in um, into the, you know, the trailer outside to make sure that you could come in and, um, you know, so there were a couple of spaces that were more complete than that, but yeah, it was very much still um, a hard hat site at that point. So, um, that's why we're that's why we're in a different space. <laughs> the hard hat site. So yeah, it sounds like the village people would have fit right in for a performance. <laughs> Imagining people in hard hats and vests and everything. <laughs> I mean, it was so funny because I sent pictures back of myself in this in, in my ridiculous vest and hat that the that the contractors gave me, and uh, you know, it was like, wow, like you really have walked into more than you thought you were gonna take on. So um, yeah. It was a different different sort of uniform for work. I'll put it that way. Yeah, totally. So, so where do you go from there? So, you, you, the, the facilities are being built, um, and at the same time, you're trying to build awareness in your community that this is happening and that you're going to start programming shows. So, how did you kind of go about, or how have you been bringing together the local community to to kind of to generate awareness? Well, you know, the miraculous thing about the Ent Center um, and the thing that I think makes it different from some other performing arts centers on university campuses is the sheer amount of community interest and participation and activism that was inherent in this building. So, um, you know, we had these a number of partner organizations um, that had signed letters of support um, that were sent to the state of Colorado um, in the attempt to get uh, funding from, from the state. Um, there's actually a really incredible, thriving, and vibrant art scene in Colorado Springs. There's a professional opera company, there's a, a professional uh, philharmonic, a chamber orchestra, a dance company, um, and then just numerous other entities, um, you know, for students as well. Um, so it's, it's actually a very robust scene, and um, 
Um, but, you know, one of the things was that the Pike Peak Center, our main facility downtown, holds 2,200 seats, which is great for, you know, touring Broadway shows, but doesn't really fit the, the needs of um, some of the artistic organizations in town. So they were really behind the design and the intention of my main stage, the Shockley's Alabac Theater, which holds 792 patrons, um, because that's just the right size for something like a youth symphony concert or a philharmonic concert, um, you know, if they're doing some slightly different work. So that that was really a big part of the intent and design around um, the size of our main stage and our recital hall. Um, so we've had tremendous community partnership. Um, the part that's been difficult and uh, what, what has been really a big focus of mine, um, in addition to everything else, is spreading the word beyond um, our inner circle, let's call it, you know, our arts patrons that we already know and love in the community, and really getting some buy-in, um, you know, from some of the uh, military constituents, for instance, because Colorado Springs is home to four military bases and the Air Force Academy. So how do you get people, you know, maybe military spouses who are stuck on post um, to come off post and come see a show, you know, or how do you make sure that, you know, there's not so many barriers to access and, um, you know, through distance or what have you. So there's just been a tremendous amount of work on that front um, with, of course, a very limited uh, marketing budget for brand awareness and recognition. So, Yeah, you said some really great stuff there that I want to kind of pick apart. So I guess two things then, just as in a general sense for people listening who are now just learning about the Performing Arts Center for the first time, what would you say is sort of your vision for the – you know, the current season and the next season, and how do you actually approach programming the music? Sure. Uh, so so the Spring 18 season was actually um, curated by our wonderful colleague, Stephen Seifert, who helped open the Newman Center for the Performing Arts at, Denver, at the University of Denver. Um, and so he was there until very recently, and he's uh, now retired, but he came out of retirement briefly to help um, select our Spring 18 season. And then I came on, um, obviously, in, in August, and, and I've been working on the 18-19 season. I think when I look at the at the End Center, there's two other professional constituents. There's a uh, company called TheaterWorks, which has been around for about 40 years or so. Um, they are a small professional theater company, a uh, regional theater company, and they do seven different uh, productions a year. And then there's the Gallery of Contemporary Art, uh, which is a uh, exhibiting gallery um, that also has a public art space. So when I look at theater and I look at visual art in there, I see music and dance. And just because of my background and, frankly, my own biases and, um, and interests, um, I'm focusing on classical music, jazz, and dance. And I'm sort of being more comprehensive about dance, and I'll go into that a little bit later. Um, I'm trying to balance uh, – my, my big intention for these first three to five years is really audience building um, and trying to get people to um, a level where they, they can trust my artistic taste and that, you know, I'll select things that they might not know, but hopefully they'll go, you know, they'll give it a shot. They'll try it. They'll try to go along with it in addition to, um, you know, favorites, uh, you know, so that's, that's been a big part of it. Um, with dance, uh, there's actually a very robust dance uh, scene here in town. There's a ton of ballet schools and modern dance schools and, of course, a professional dance company. Um, so we were fortunate to have, you know, Kegwin and Company, which is um, a modern dance company based in New York City that also does summer residencies uh, in uh, just, just outside of Colorado Springs in the summer in the mountains. Uh, we had Ailey 2, which, of course, is a 
uh, household name. Everybody knows and loves it sold out, which was incredible. Um, and then we had the Aspen Santa Fe Ballet, which, of course, is of the highest caliber artistically and also happens to have its home base in our backyard. So those were a really great way to build. Um, I can't quite announce all of my season for next year, um, but as I look at it, you know, I selected a little bit of ballet, um, a little bit of, um, for lack of a better term, world dance, and then a couple uh, modern dance companies that really reflect some of the values and, and hopes that we have um, for collaboration across our community. So that's been sort of the way that I've, I've at least approached these first couple years. So going back to the description you, you're providing of kind of what the local community is like, I'm just I'm thinking about what that process must be like. There's a lot of military bases. There's local, um, as you just said, there's a pretty big community for dance. How do you, how does one approach a general marketing plan for the various communities there when you don't really have a formal marketing budget. <laughs> How do you do that? Right. I mean, we do have a small bar budget. Basically, I put roughly 20% of my artist fee, um, an additional 20%, you know, towards marketing for each mm -hmm. of my shows. So that's it's still not a huge amount. Um, and I think the big the big tools that we've been using um, are the rather robust, perhaps um, invasive, but that's maybe for another podcast, uh, uh, tools on Facebook <laughs> to be able to market. Um, yeah. You know, because I can go through and say, you know, for, um, you know, Ailey 2, I want, you know, to find people who like modern dance, people who even like Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, um, you know, people who like other dance companies, um, you know, maybe Paul Taylor or uh, Palabolus or something like that, uh, within, you know, 25 miles of the Ent Center, um, you know, who also have a various other interests, you know, either in that field or elsewhere. So I can really drill down and, um, and be very effective with those marketing dollars. Um, certainly word of mouth has actually been the biggest boon for us um, because, you know, we've actually, through our rentals and also our presented work, we've already had 20,000 people come to the Ent Center since January 16th. Um, and oh, that's great. Fourth today. Yeah, so that's huge. And so when people have a positive experience in the building, they tell their friends. And when I have my shows, I make sure to get up and say, you know, thank you so much for coming. Make sure to make plans to come back and see us. And here's a couple upcoming shows that you might be really interested in. Um, following up with audience surveys, following up, um, you know, and, and really making sure people hear about those shows. And of course, you know, not you know these are these are not rocket science, but things like you know making sure that you put your series on sale as early as humanly possible, so that there's the maximum amount of time for people to hear about the shows that you're bringing. Um, and uh, you know, and just little by little, you know, putting a few flyers here, you know, creating a partnership with this business or that, you know, nonprofit, and you know, going to every Rotary in town, every Kiwanis. I mean, it's 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 grassroots. It's totally guerrilla. Yeah, this this is a pretty good segue because I kind of wanted to go off on a tangent with you, <laughs> go down this this rabbit hole and see where it takes us. Awesome. And right on the last thing you just said, uh, you said if it takes handing out flyers, that's what you guys are doing. Do you guys do print brochures in the traditional sense? Mm. Uh, we actually do. Um, you know, we have found that. Um, I mean, we don't do a lot of them, and I think part that's mostly due to the fact that we just have one 
Poor thing. Uh, we have one marketing person for all three professional programs in this building, for the galleries, for ThetaWorks, and for my series. So, you know, and she's phenomenal, and she has a background in graphic design. She's worked for an agency. Um, but, you know, she's just one person. So when we have done print materials, um, we have found a fairly good response to that. I think um, – I think that email actually tends to get pretty lost. When you look at your click-through rates on emails, you know, and they're less than, I think the industry standard's around one to 3%, something like that, right? Um, you know, because people just have so many emails coming their way every day, or they've got filters, or they use, you know, roll-up or whatever it is. Um, it's really hard, I think, sometimes to use email as an effective tool. I mean, certainly there's a core group of people who will use that. Um, but in some way, mail has almost become a novelty, um, and I don't know if that's just anecdotal or what, but we have found some pretty good success with marketing our, our events that way. Yeah, so this is the rabbit hole I kind of want to go down. So, <laughs> I mean, as things phase out with print, in the not just with a performing arts center's uh, brochure, but also whatever available prints was an option for both the, the um, venue itself and the artist to try and get press. You know, those those options are just becoming much more limited as the days go by. Right. So, you know, one thing I think a lot about as far as how we, on our end of the table, can be effective in the future is this complete shift from what was a lot of print to all things digital. I think that has huge implications and you and I talked about this, you know, the last time we had a chance to touch base, but the idea that hypothetically, if no, if print brochures aren't really needed, is there a need for a performing arts center to book a show 12 to 18 months in advance? And if the answer is no, ultimately, I hope there would be bigger opportunities for artists, for routed dates, and adding shows later throughout a season. What are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, you know, I go back and forth on this a lot. Um, you know, on the one hand, it's really useful for me on this presenting side of the, of the world to have as much time as humanly possible to get the word out, especially as a brand new presenter. Um, you know, it takes some time, for instance, to, you know, it's not necessarily that Branford Marcellus won't sell because he is selling very well, for instance, but I had to do all of the groundwork to make sure that people knew, A, that the Ent Center for the Arts exists, B, that it's not the Ent Center for the bank, uh, you know, because it's named after a credit union in town, um, you know, that we present jazz, number three, and number four, that Branford Marcellus is coming, and number five, there's tickets available. You know, so that takes a lot of time, a lot of impressions, a lot of engagements, um, and a lot of repeat uh, interactions with patrons, right? So on the one hand, that that length of time since October when I announced that show has been really helpful um, to kind of build awareness and excitement around the programming we're doing. On the other hand, you know, I keep looking at my great friends up in Denver at Dazzle, right, because Dazzle has some of the most incredible programming um, for jazz that you'll find in, in Colorado and on a very consistent basis. And I, you know, I know that they can book in a much more quick period of time. Not that they don't necessarily book things out a little bit further in advance, but they can have that flexibility um, to pick up shows um, that are of great artistic quality that will land really well with their audiences, um, you know, with a lot more flexibility. I think the problem that comes into play is a lot of performing arts centers are on a university schedule. And so, 
you know, for instance, for my 1819 budget, I had to present that back in January um, with an estimate on the number of shows I was going to use and how much artistic budget I was going to have. And that's now pretty fixed. And so, you know, if I want to add more shows, well, you know, that's tough to do unless I can really prove that I have either underwriting or, um, you know, I'm, it's a guaranteed sellout type situation. So that's the, that's the weird flux that we're in um, as we get more towards, you know, people who can, who can sort of produce and, um, and market their shows much more quickly and efficiently than we could in the past. I mean, I'm definitely glad that we're past the days of those press kits that people would send out in the mail. I mean, what a waste of paper um, and postage. You know? <laughs> like that was right. a miserable way to get things done. Um, but it's at the same time, it's tough with the exigencies of just, you know, being on a university campus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's clearly, it's a, it's a different paradigm than a more commercial venue, but it is, it, it is interesting to think about, in the future, if there'll be more opportunity like that, um, maybe, like you said, if it's a situation where it's a bigger name artist that does have the draw, you are able to add the show later and not have to worry about it being it coming after your budget. So I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, and I think, you know, there, the one thing that I've been toying with, too, is, you know, there's the option that, you know, maybe there's the artist series, which is the name of my series, you know, and maybe I book that all in advance on that traditional performing arts structure, you know, 12 to 18 months before the show. But maybe I start a second franchise that's purely commercial in nature that allows me to sort of pick up these routed dates um, and sort of have them either as co-pros with the local commercial radio station or, you know, with the jazz presenter in town, something like that, um, that might be a really interesting avenue to go down that would help subsidize some of the more um, artistic, um, you know, if you want to call it that way, um, or let's call it uh, labors of love, you know, those sorts of projects um, that might not be as more as commercially viable, um, but still allows me to kind of enter that, that side of the business. Yeah, that makes sense. So would you say that, well, let me ask it this way. Just again, thinking about this sort of shift in how performing arts centers can market their shows and ultimately produce more shows throughout a season. I mean, do you think traditional performing arts centers are, are equipped to effectively deal with this shift? Or what what do you think needs to happen before people can start to actually experiment with this new new way of doing things? Yeah, you know, I think um I do think that we should move more towards just being more flexible and I think I think it would be great if I mean just thinking from my perspective, you know, if there was maybe like a little bit of a slush fund of artistic fees that I didn't necessarily commit in advance um that I could use to be a little more flexible on that side of things, that would be really great. But I think for me, especially in Colorado Springs, um, you know, where I'm an hour south of Denver and I'm four hours north of Santa Fe, um, routed routed bookings are everything. Um so you know, to the extent that I'm talking to my colleagues in Denver and Santa Fe and even up in Boulder and Fort Collins, um, you know, I'm willing to be flexible if I guess everybody else is also willing to be flexible, right? Because I'm not in a position as a new presenter to say, oh, you know, you're the next biggest thing. I'm going to pay for your flights. I'm going to play for three nights hotels. You're going to come out. You're going to do the show. It's going to be great. You know, that's that's just not feasible. Um 
So I think it has to be a larger industry shift, um, but that would require I think it would require us all to kind of think about what would be most useful. And again, I think, um, you know, that's going to depend on um, both the marketing by the artists and the availabilities and, you know, the potential fee, um, as well as, you know, just availability in the season. Um, you know, a lot of these performing arts centers are also rental venues like mine, right? So I have, you know, for instance, uh, five-year multi-use agreements with some of my clients. Um, so uh it's uh, it's hard to say. I mean on the one hand I um I think any night that my halls are dark um is a night that we're losing money and a, and the potential to engage with our audience. So I think it is useful to find a way to be more flexible, but I think we need to think through the budgetary um side of things so that the universities are more willing to go along with that. Yeah. Well, let's kind of table that for now, but know that if this is something that would take more people involved you and I could be the first to sort of spearhead this. How does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. You know, yeah. like just take over the world, right? Uh, I mean, that's my plan, basically. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, speaking of which, I mean, you know, give yourself some credit. You've accomplished so much in just the eight or so months you've actually been there. So when you kind of look out toward the next three to five years, I think you mentioned some of this earlier, but what are some of the milestones you're focused on at that point? Um, I think right now the big key is to um, really build a donor base for the artist series. Um, you know, so that requires getting people in the building not once, not twice, but three or more times. Um, it means creating more, you know, opportunities for people to engage with the artists, um, you know, not just within the concert context, but beyond. I'm creating more educational opportunities and more social opportunities. Um, you know, I'm starting to work on some ideas about how to engage um, with some younger demographics and trying to think through uh, what sort of programming would be more interesting in that way. Um, but I really want to see some significant funding um, and fundraising efforts so that we can take more risks and find, you know, some of those up-and-coming performers that we really believe in or that I really believe in and, and have – um, and have that opportunity to sort of present them as part of the artist series. Um, I'd love to get to the point where I had a strong enough donor base that I could do some sort of like, you know, field trip, for instance, like my, my colleagues in the Gallery of Contemporary Art bring their uh, bring some people to Napa. They just went to Napa last week and did a tour of a bunch of the art galleries there and uh, the vineyards, of course, because, you know, why, why go to Napa if not for that? Um, so I'd love to find a way to, you know, if we could go to, I don't know, a Fringe Festival or if we could go to New York or L.A. and just, you know, in, uh, and have that opportunity for our really core subscribers to engage with that sort of art. That would be really, really great. Um, and most of all, I just want to get to the point where I have a solid audience um, and, uh, you know, and, and just get a little more stable, have our processes in place, get staffed up. Um, yeah, you know, there's just so many things to do and so many different ways to do it. Well, if there's room in the budget for me to come to Napa with you, would you let me know? I will definitely, you know, I'm going to give you a call. We'll go. Actually, I thought it would be really fun to go to San Francisco or, like, you know, take people to SF Jazz or something like that. That would be huge. Oh, yeah. There's so many venues there that are amazing. Right. Um, but, yeah, let's plan this trip for sure. I'm actually going right. to be going in the, in May, and I, while I'm there, I definitely hope to check out some of these places that we work with. 
Oh, man. I love going to – I mean, yeah, San Francisco is such a great place. Um, I would love to get back there, and I'd love to to have, like, you know, like a jazz trip and a classical trip. You know, we could go to Vienna. We could go to Suntory Hall in Tokyo. But, you know, these are are lofty goals. I need to to build an audience first. (laughs) Yeah, baby steps. Great. So – I'm always eager to discover new artists. People listening are always eager to discover new artists. Who have you been listening to lately that you recommend we all check out? Um, you know, I actually, uh, when I was at Global Fest in January, um, I was really taken by this group named Flor de Toluache. And, uh, how would you, are, how would one spell that? Do you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. Flor is F-L-O-R, de, D-E, and then Toluache is T-O-L-O-A-C-H-E. Um, they are an all-female mariachi band, but they're not exactly proper mariachi. Um, so they take that influence. They certainly sound very much like that. Um, but then they write their own songs um, and are creating sort of new, more pop. It's sort of like a, a blend almost. Um, and so they were nominated for a Latin Grammy. They might have won. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, but they're just so, so good. And it just reminds me um, – of the songs that I used to listen to when I was growing up in Tucson, Arizona, and where mariachi is a really, really big deal. Um, and uh, they're just, they have these incredible vocals. Um, the musicianship's really, really tight. And uh, they're doing something really unique and interesting um, and celebrating uh, the old and the new. So I think they're really great. Well, you have me sold. I'm going to check them out and see <laughs> see what their story is, so to speak. <laughs> Absolutely. They have uh, the song I'd recommend is called "Let Down," um, and they also have another song called "Beeson." Um, that's really good. So you should listen to those too. I really appreciate it. I'll check them out for sure. So I feel like we've covered a fair amount, but um, I'm also conscious of the time here. Where can people who are listening to this go to connect with you if they want? to learn more about what you're doing, the Ent Center, how you've been able to do it, et cetera, et cetera. What would be the best way to reach you? Yeah, uh, best best thing to do is to go to uh, uccspresents.org um, mm-hmm. and uh, take a look at, at the sort of stuff that we have coming up. Um, we're also on Facebook at UCCS Presents. Um, and uh, there's also a second page uh, for the Ent Center for the Arts, which lists all of our rentals as well. Um, and if you're ever in Colorado Springs, please come find us. Uh, we are open to the public. Um, and even if there's not a show going on, we have a wonderful public sculpture garden um, that's well worth uh, taking a walk around uh, up on the North Nevada Corridor. Well, Aisha, this has been such a great conversation. Thanks so much for your time. And it, it's so obvious why they brought you out there. Like, you're clearly Aww. doing great stuff. Thanks so much, Mike. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, can't wait to have you out here, too. Yeah, totally. Will I see you in, I guess, Las Vegas? Are you going to be out there in, in the end of the um, when is that, August? I, I just bought my plane tickets. I've got my hotel room at the Bellagio, so I'm down. I'm ready. Fine. Well, I'll look forward to parting with you there. <laughs> awesome. Sounds like a plan. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. Uh-huh. Bye.